This is Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. So today we're getting tactical and talking about what people can do in a bear market. And so far we've discussed continuing to invest, take advantage of lower prices. You talked a little bit about dollar cost averaging. And I want to continue this conversation. But but you'd say, you know, put your cash to work. And of course, everybody, whether you subscribe to them or not, you get some kind of letters or, you know, or, or you watch financial shows, right, where they say, these five stocks will save your portfolio from inflation. So where where do you put your cash to work? What do you recommend? And, and are there really stocks that can save your portfolio from inflation? I think everybody wants to pick that that hot stock, that one that doubles or triples or quadruples in a relatively short period of time. But the problem is the odds are not in your favor. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we, like, we've all heard that like stocks outperform bonds, right? And, and like most of us recognize that. But keep in mind that statement applies in aggregate in, in regards to stocks in general across the board. But, but in reality, a lot of individual stocks actually don't even outperform T-bills, short-term government securities. There was a study conducted by Hendrik Bessenbinder, and I probably screwed up his name, so Hendrik, if you're listening, my apologies. (laughs) But he's a professor at Arizona State at the W.P. Carey School of Business. In this study, he concluded that the entire return of the stock market going back to 1926 can be attributed to just the top 4% of companies. The other 96%, had you invested in them, that portfolio would have essentially just achieved the rate of return had you put the money in T-bills. And so a very small portion of the returns of the market came from a few very high flyers. And it kind of ties into our discussion earlier about how market returns in general come in very short periods of time. The point I'm making here is if you're going to have this strategy of buying individual stocks and hoping to pick the winners, the odds aren't there. You could look at the data and say, watch this, hold my beer, I'm going in to pick the 4% winners, but... That sounds like a really good strategy, by the way. I want the 4% winners. How do I get that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the problem. Is it's, it's, it's extremely difficult. And I think, quite frankly, this explains why routinely we see that most actively managed investment strategies by the professionals underperform the overall market. And and keep in mind, this is professionals who have incredible resources. What about Joe Smith listening to this show in his car who's got a portfolio of individual stocks? You you have to ask yourself, if, if you're Joe Smith choosing those individual stocks, what edge do I have? So then when you say, okay, put the cash to work for you, where are you saying we should be putting that cash to work for us? It comes back to you could try to pick that top 4% or you could just buy the entire thing, the 100%. Are you going to have some of the 96 that, quite frankly, don't do much? Yeah. But that small amount that you've gotten the 4% will perform so well that that's where the market returns come from. And one of the core underpinnings of our investment strategy is to diversify. When you think about how you're allocating your investment dollars, you got to look to your financial plan because that will tell you how long those dollars can remain invested. So the money that you have for long-term, 
that you're not expected to use in the next five years, great. You can put those in long-term investments. If it's money you expect you're going to need in the next two years, you should not be using long-term investments for short-term dollars. So the idea here is, okay, if you're going to spread your assets out, and you're going to hold a little bit of everything. Keep in mind, the idea of diversifying is not to just hold a bunch of different things that all move up at the same time and they all move down at the same time. Because if you got a hundred different things and they're all doing that at the same time, going the same direction to the same amount, you're not diversified. You just got junk spread everywhere. The idea of being diversified is that you're going to have exposure to different asset classes that are moving and performing at different times. That means if you just leave them alone one asset's probably going to start to gobble up the rest of your portfolio because it's performing better than the laggards. And this is where rebalancing comes into play. To the point earlier of just hold the line, like sometimes you shouldn't be holding the line. Sometimes you should actually be doing something during these market declines. And that's something we've been doing for our clients, rebalancing. Rebalancing is a risk management tool. You're selling outperforming assets and using the proceeds to buy into some of the underperforming assets that haven't done quite as well. This can be difficult if you don't have the technology or the resources. I I remember when I first got into the industry, uh, I used to have to build an allocation in a spreadsheet. Whenever we wanted to review it, I had to go back and manually update all of the numbers of the things that we wanted to have money allocated to and calculate, well, what percentage of the overall portfolio does this one position make up? And that would tell us whether or not the position was over-allocated or under-allocated and whether or not we should be buying more to it or selling some from it. As a professional, we do have the resources and the technology where most investors that are doing it themselves don't have that. Rebalancing isn't just selling off things that have gone up and buying into things that have gone down. Sometimes both things have gone down, but they may not have gone down to the same extent. If one has gone down more, that means, of course, by law of averages, it's less of your portfolio than it otherwise would have been. But that seems completely counterintuitive, right? How does that make sense? Completely counterintuitive, right? Make it make sense to me, Brian. Make it make sense. Think about what's happened this year. Year to date, from January 1st, the best performing asset class in the S&P 500 has been the energy sector, which is probably no surprise to listeners, right? They're looking at what they're putting into their gas pump, and they certainly understand why energy is up. Now, the worst performing sector this year is consumer discretionary. Okay, so you got energy doing really well and consumer discretionary doing pretty poorly. But here's the thing. In the last month, it's completely flip-flopped. In other words, energy in the past month has gone from the best performing asset class to one of the worst performing asset classes. Year-to-date, energy's up 30%, consumer discretionary is down 26 But if we just start to look at the last month, well, something's changed. Consumer discretionary is now up almost 11%, where energy is down 1% to 2%. This is where working with a professional can really come into play. I build an allocation plan based upon a client's financial plan. Then we look to maintain it. And the thing is, we can use technology to help us out here. We'll set parameters on the allocation that say, okay, here's what I want to have for Joe Smith. But when this thing deviates by more than 5% or so, it sends my trading team an alert and they'll go back in there and they'll rebalance. But that's very difficult for an individual to do because it's extremely manual. They don't have the resources and the technology that my trading team has. So, you know, if you're listening at home, if you want help, give us a call. 
833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. I think that's a really good example, right, of just one, being unable to time the market, and number two, making sure that you're just rebalancing. You often say that a good plan is based on inputs. What are you talking about? Like, what inputs exactly? Yeah, you have to take a look at your situation and understand, okay, when am I going to need these dollars? What's my current income? What are my expenses? Are those expenses being covered by the current income? Or am I expecting to have to supplement if I'm retired potentially or near retirement? Am I expecting to have to supplement some of those other income sources like pensions or social security uh, by taking some withdrawals from my investment portfolio and these assets that I've accumulated? If you know you're in that position or going to be in that position shortly, you need to be preparing for it. And your allocation should reflect it. In other words, the money you expect to need here in the short term should not be allocated to investments where you're going to have to deal with 20, 30, 40, 50% declines. Because quite frankly, although they're not fun, it is normal for the market to have declines like what we're experiencing right now. Yeah. It's a good example of why you need experts to kind of walk you through and not just go on your gut of something's doing well, keep following that wherever it goes, because obviously it doesn't last forever. So thank you, Brian. I really appreciate it. You bet. In today's volatile market, you might be tempted to sit things out thinking, I'll just wait until the market calms down. Talk to an Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner to learn more about the risks of market timing and other potentially costly mistakes. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to get connected. That's 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com.